0: Chapter 10, Part 1 of Women of the French Revolution by Winifred Stevens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 10. The Rise and Fall of the Woman's Party. Part 1 Though few, we hold a promise for the race that was not at our rising. You are free to win brave mates, you lose but marionettes. He who's for us, for him are we. George Meredith hitherto we have seen the women of the revolution battling for progress in general either side by side with men or apart in their own separate fields we have seen men politicians making use of women in various ways to further the general cause of the revolution but we should have a false impression of the women of the revolution were we to think of them as so completely occupied with the common weal as to be indifferent to the weal of their own sex in particular though the word feminism was not coined until after the revolution women's struggle for emancipation went on through the revolution and had begun long before it from the middle ages onwards there had been feminists in france christine de pisan marguerite de valois mademoiselle de gournay la grande demoiselle madame de lambert but not until the revolution had there been a distinct feminist movement not until men began to combine to demand recognition of the rights of man did women begin to combine to demand that the rights of men should include those of women it was in the eighteenth century the seed time of modern ideas writes mr havelock ellis that our great-grandfathers became conscious of a discordant break in the traditional conceptions of women's status the vague cries of justice freedom equality which were being hurled about the world were here and there energetically applied to women. In France, throughout the century, philosophers, with the exception of that arch anti feminist Jean-Jacques Rousseau, had been sowing the seed of revolutionary feminism as well as of much else. In the customs of all lands, wrote Diderot, nature's cruelty to women has been reinforced by the cruelty of the common law. In marriage, man unjustly arrogates to himself a proprietorial right over his wife montesquieu and voltaire were both in favor of giving women political rights so were d'alembert beaumarchais and mercier thus towards the end of the century feminism was in the air in england two years before the outbreak of the french revolution mary wollstonecraft published the first of her feminist books thoughts on the education of daughters to be succeeded five years later by her great work the vindication of the rights of women which was immediately translated into french in germany kant's friend theodore gottlich von himmel was preparing his two feminist treatises hubert die bergelische verbesserung der weiber and hubert weibliche bildung which appeared respectively in seventeen ninety two and eighteen hundred one meanwhile in france the last of the philosophers condorcet was surpassing in zeal and persistence all these advocates of feminism we have already seen condorcet and his wife in their salon at l'Hôtel des monnaies including women's political enfranchisement among the ideas which their friends despised as utopian it was in the year before the revolution that condorcet in the second of his Lettre d'un bourgeois de new haven a un citoyen de virginie demanded that women should not merely vote but be eligible for election to governing bodies in the following year he returned to the same theme in an Essai sur la constitution et les fonctions des assemblées provinciales and again in the next year in an article sur l'admission des femmes au droit de cité contributed to the journal of la société de 1789. later in his classic work le tableau des progrès de l'esprit humain he laid down as a necessary condition of intellectual progress the complete destruction of prejudices which have created a legal inequality between the two sexes fatal even to those whom it favors the most revolutionary of his demands that women should not only vote but be eligible for election to governing bodies was made in the earliest of these works in the matter of suffrage condorcet was a very moderate reformer all he demanded both for men and women was a slight extension of a very restricted property qualification for we must remember that when the revolution opened women were not entirely debarred from voting ever since the institution of the states-general by philippe le bel in thirteen hundred two certain women had possessed this privilege and had from time to time made use of it now when the states-general after a lapse of one hundred and seventy-five years were once more summoned by a royal decree a clause in that decree called upon all women lay or religious who held seigneurial fiefs to appoint proxies chosen from the nobility in the case of laywomen from the clergy in the case of nuns to represent them in the electoral colleges women complied consequently certain members of the national assembly owed their election partly to women's votes this according to condorcet was quite right and proper the injustice lay he contended in the article he contributed to the Journal of the 1789 Society, in limiting the right of representation to the women who held seigneurial fiefs, Condorcet would have it extended to the feminine holders of territorial fiefs. It is not the advocacy of this very modest measure of reform, but the revolutionary nature of the arguments by which he supported it, that entitles Condorcet to rank with John Stuart Mill as one of the greatest advocates of women's suffrage with condorcet's reasoning striking and novel as it was in his day we are now so familiar that there is no need to repeat it here yet hardly any of his men contemporaries agreed with him among prominent politicians only the Abbé Sieyès, the diplomatist talleyrand and the scientist rome advocated women's suffrage but the women who demanded the political enfranchisement of their sex were more numerous they were led by four fiery agitators with whom we are already well acquainted Palm von elders olympe de gouge tiroigne de méricourt and claire Lacombe. probably none of them except perhaps Palm, had ever read a line of condorcet's writings they would have had no patience with his moderate and aristocratic notions for each member of the quartet at one time or other claimed what is known in france to-day as le suffrage intégral Palm was the most moderate of the four for that reason and also because she was the first to disappear from the revolution scene we will take her first although she was not the first to begin feminist propaganda etta palm or madame d'elders as we have said in a previous chapter was an influential member of the club known as the friends of truth or the social circle founded in seventeen ninety there and owing largely no doubt to the fact that condorcet was a member women's rights and wrongs were frequently discussed but the speakers were not always feminist on the thirty first of october seventeen ninety one speaker enunciated the familiar doctrine that a woman's sphere is bounded by the walls of her home there he said is woman's throne there she is surrounded by her children who should be her only glory then with the revolutionist's unfailing appeal to the annals of rome cornelia he concluded was neither senator nor consul nor general of the roman armies she was the mother of the gracchi but anti-feminists were of course not allowed the last word at the social circle a few weeks later it was announced that on the twenty sixth of november a young man charles louis rousseau a former député extraordinaire for chablis and tonnerre would speak on the following points one do women exercise any influence over government two how best can that influence be used for the good of the state three in a properly constituted state what should be the social and political position of women four a proposal to create magisterial functions exclusively exercisable by women every care was taken to ensure rousseau a large and influential audience the club's newspaper bouche de fer announced that not only members of the social circle but members of the constituent assembly the paris municipality and of other clubs the jacobins les electeurs patriotes and les electeurs de 1789 would be admitted on producing their cards in spite of all these carefully planned arrangements the meeting resulted in a complete fiasco and would have covered feminism with ridicule had it not been for the intervention of a clever woman in the audience rousseau was a dapper little man well powdered with a fine tricolour cockade in his hat and another at the hilt of his sword but he was utterly ignorant of the art of speaking in public in vain did his women friends by their vociferous applause endeavour to inspire him with the eloquence he lacked rousseau maundered on interminably until the women who were not his personal admirers and the whole male portion of the assembly were bored to extinction and tried but in vain to cry him down shall he continue inquired the embarrassed president one dr michel yes yes shouted the speaker's women friends but renewed frequent and forcible interruptions from the rest of the audience finally reduced even the persistent rousseau to unwilling silence as at long last he ceased speaking a tall and well-dressed woman emerged from the seats in the amphitheatre reserved for her sex and mounting the platform protested against the disgraceful treatment accorded to the champion of women's rights i demand she cried in the name of every citizeness present that the speaker be allowed to continue but by that time the president had adjourned the meeting and there remained nothing for the women to do but to gather round the oratress to smother her with embraces and to overwhelm her with their thanks and congratulations this brave champion of her sex was none other than etta Palm Delders. Etta had so fascinated the social circle that the club insisted on her fixing a day when she would address them at greater length. They even wanted to make her president. Only the former request was granted. Etta was persuaded to name the day. It was to be the 30th of December. In the interval, the silenced but by no means discomfited Rousseau insisted on completing his oration at the Paris Vauxhall on the 13th of December and to guard against interruption this time he refused to admit to the hall any man for whose orderly behaviour a woman would not hold herself responsible this plan was apparently successful and rousseau was allowed to drone on as long as he liked and to weary his listeners without interruption etta's triumph on the thirtieth was as brilliant as rousseau's failure had been dismal o oh, ye gods and goddesses had cried another teuton an behold the divine hypatia herself on the platform but madame delders was too mistrustful of her dutch accent to deliver her own speech it was read for her by one of the club's secretaries and for the defects of its composition the writer felt it necessary to apologize born and bred in a foreign land she began if the construction of my phrases is not according to the rules of the french academy i ask you to believe that i have consulted my heart rather than a dictionary the audience was ready to make every allowance the speech was received with immense applause it was printed at the club's expense and with other subsequent speeches by madame d'elders was circulated throughout france under the title of appel aux françaises sur la régénération des mœurs et nécessité de l'influence des femmes dans un gouvernement libre the women of Crey responded to this appeal by electing its author a member of the recently formed women's section of the national guard and presenting her some say with a sword of honour but at any rate with one of the national medals struck to commemorate the feast of the federation with much pomp and ceremony the formal presentation was made in the amphitheatre of the palais royal by the commander of the Crey national guard in the name of the captainess and members of the women's section and of the municipal council of Crey in acknowledging the honour conferred upon her madame d'elders proposed that a statue to faucillon's wife should be erected in the amphitheatre in order that the members of the club might have constantly before their eyes a model of wisdom modesty and every moral and civic virtue the president of the club not to be outdone in heroics rejoined that never would the male friends of truth consent to wear chains save chains of flowers woven by etta's hands or those of her amiable fellow-workers as to the speech itself though it was embroidered with many a flower of rhetoric if any convinced suffragists heard it their hearts must have been left cold much was said about the reform of women's morals they were adjured to adorn their heads with crowns of civisme instead of with pompons and other frivolous ornaments but women's influence on government which was supposed to be the main theme of the discourse was left almost unnoticed suffragists must have been disappointed when after speaking of the injustice of women's position in the family and society the speaker conceded that for the present anything like equality between the sexes was out of the question this must be postponed until another revolution for the present women must concentrate on moral progress on winning educational advantages on making themselves worthy to be the companions of men any anti-feminist might have said as much and did as we shall see when we come to the anti-feminism of madame roland however with the exception of m and madame Condorcet, there were probably few if any suffragists belonging to the social circle consequently madame d'elders enjoyed her triumph undisturbed and she lived up to her opportunity the fame she had already acquired as a platform woman made her as eager as all the other oratresses of the revolution to display her eloquence to the best advantage i e in the presence of the national assembly on the twenty third of march seventeen ninety one she proposed apparently in vain to the women of the social circle that they should go in a body to thank the national assembly for having granted women une existence civile a year later she was more successful and on the first of april seventeen ninety two she actually found herself playing the coveted part and appearing at the head of a deputation before the legislative assembly this time she came out as a real suffragist not content with asking for equality of educational opportunities she demanded equal political rights for women and men majority for women at twenty-one instead of at twenty-five and the right to divorce the reply of the president of the assembly was the perfection of la galanterie francaise he promised that in the future the assembly would avoid passing any laws which should cause women citizens to shed tears or displease them in any way he granted the petitioners the honors of the sitting and referred their petition to the committee on legislation and education in whose pigeonholes it was no doubt safely buried this was probably one of madame delder's last appearances in public by that time the social circle had ceased to exist and soon the patriotic and philanthropic ladies also were to discontinue their meetings the fact is that madame delders was now growing unpopular it had been whispered that she was a spy in the service of the hated king of prussia his ambassador it was said had been seen visiting her flat the report would seem to have originated with madame robert who made it a pretext for opposing madame Delders' election to the jacobin fraternal society madame robert's real reason was jealousy being the chief speaker at the society she feared etta as a rival the french government of the day can hardly have taken the rumor seriously seeing that in september seventeen ninety two minister of foreign affairs sent etta to holland to inquire whether the republic of the united provinces would be willing to receive an ambassador from the new republic of france the failure of madame d'elder's in this important mission closed her public career whether she ever returned to france is uncertain at any rate she was treated as an emigre the property she had left in paris was confiscated and the contents of her flat in la rue favart placed under seal in the inventory of her furniture figure a bust of camille desmoulins a great many corsets and four porcelain dolls whether madame d'elders was a prussian spy or not as a feminist we suspect her of being a trimmer ready to advocate women's suffrage when as at the time of her petition to the assembly the idea was growing popular but equally ready to adjourn the reform indefinitely when she was addressing an audience with whom the measure was unlikely to find favour if during the first three years of the revolution the idea of women's parliamentary enfranchisement gained ground it certainly was not due to the advocacy of madame there was a woman however who though she changed her mind from time to time as to some articles of her political creed remained from first to last and was even before the revolution a stalwart and loyal suffragist this woman was olympe de gouge michelet calls her the high priestess of feminism she was the first of the revolution women to organize an orderly feminist manifestation hardly had the national assembly taken up its quarters at paris in the riding-school of the rue saint honore when on the twenty eighth of october seventeen eighty nine olympe at the head of a deputation of women laid before the deputies a programme of feminist reform such as with one exception might well be urged to-day by marie of or any other leader of the women's party in france it included complete sex equality before the law the admission of women to all occupations for which they were fitted the suppression of what was called the dowry system. And then came that touch of eccentricity, or shall we say utopianism, that rendered so many of Olympe's proposals impracticable. If the dowry system must remain, said she, then let the state provide husbands for girls who were without dowries. In conclusion, Olympe, with the usual flourish, asked, why women who come from the sceptre to the crook, are born to scatter flowers over men's lives should receive from them in return nothing but chains torment and injustice in those early days we may be sure the assembly listened patiently to olympe's declamation she would have spoken well said one of her hearers if only she had not so many fireworks in her brain as time went on the assembly grew less patient for olympe never lost an opportunity of displaying her eloquence before them and at the same time as we have seen she was pouring forth innumerable pamphlets and posting many of them on the hoardings of paris feminism figured large in many of these pronouncements like madame d'elders olympe who was self-educated as far as she was educated at all desired for her fellow-women advantages that had never been hers she demanded that girls should receive the same education as boys that all careers should be open to women who with a wider outlook would acquit themselves better of their domestic duties While she would have all the political privileges that men enjoyed extended to women, she further demanded that in certain directions women should acquire peculiar privileges of their own. That of the theatre, for example. She advocated the establishment of a national theatre in which only plays by women should be acted. Here we catch the personal note that was never far to seek in Olympe's propaganda. She had suffered, as we have seen, from the refusal of her plays by la Comedie Francaise and other Paris theatres she is said to have taken one of her productions l'esclave des negres to london but there she had no better success than in paris that is by the way however but to return to her feminism a outrance as it was did not blind her to the faults of her sex as denunciatory as a hebrew prophet preaching at every one as we have said at the king the queen the assembly the clubs especially the jacobins she did not fail to deal faithfully even brutally with her fellow-women in France, especially for many centuries. She wrote, "Women have done more harm than good for the French government has almost always depended on l'administration nocturne des femmes. If in public women have no political power, elle commande despotiquement dans le mystère. Such frankness as this Olympe justified by saying, "I serve my sex by persecuting it." but all the faults of women." their ineffectuality their sloth their coquetry this feminist laid at men's door to the lowest class of her fellow-women she showed no pity whatever in order that honest women and their daughters should not be horrified by so vile a spectacle as was too often seen in the paris streets olympe would sweep prostitutes off the public thoroughfares and shut them up in separate quarters belonging to the state and under police supervision the most celebrated of all her feminist tracts the one which more than any other entitles her to be regarded as the foundress of modern feminism is her declaration of the rights of women contained in a pamphlet addressed to the queen and published in september seventeen ninety one in the opening paragraph marie antoinette was implored to win the gratitude of one-half of her subjects and at least a third of the other half by declaring herself the protectress of her sex and by furthering the recognition of their lawful rights the declaration contains seventeen clauses in the first following the same form as the declaration of the rights of man it opens by declaring that woman is born free then it adds and equal in rights to man social distinctions can only be based on common utility the principle of sovereignty resides in the nation which consists of men as well as of women laws should express the general will Citizenesses as well as citizens should have a share in framing them either directly or through their representatives the law should be equal for all Citizenesses, like citizens being equal in its eyes should be equally eligible for all public dignities posts and employments according to their capacity and without any distinction save that of their virtues and talents women as well as men pay taxes consequently women as well as men have the right to call to account the public servants whom they pay there is nothing in these principles which would not be accepted by the average woman suffragist of today. few suffragists however indeed few social reformers would agree with the clauses which follow and which deal with marriage and children still smarting under the wrongs real or imaginary of her childhood believing herself to have been an illegitimate child and consequently deprived of what should have been her lawful inheritance olympe propounded a new marriage system le contrat social de l'homme et de la femme it is one of her most whimsical and impracticable schemes the contracting parties were to hold their property in common with the reservation that it could be divided in favor of children who might be born d'une inclination particuliere mutually agreeing concludes this strange proposal that our property belongs to our children de quelculi qu'ils sortent and that all alike without distinction have the right to bear the name of the father and mother who have recognized them no one as far as we know ever took this scheme seriously while retaining the institution of marriage olympe would reduce it to an absurdity this was precisely the treatment that olympe was soon to accuse the legislative assembly of having meted out to the monarchy of the monarchy she said justly It would have been better to abolish it rather than drag it in the mud. It is in Article 10 of the Declaration of the Rights of Women that occurs the famous phrase that even those who know nothing else about her always associate with Olympe. Woman has the right to mount the scaffold. She should also have the right to mount the platform. Among all the rights Olympe demanded for women, those two were the only ones that she herself ever exercised the pity that olympe refused to the fallen members of her own sex we have already seen her lavishing heroically on the deposed king in a previous chapter we left her on the eve of her arrest the inevitable consequence of her quixotic offer to defend louis capet at his trial had anything else been necessary to render her condemnation inevitable she supplied it by her frequent attacks on robespierre whom she described as a perpetual disgrace to the revolution and by her espousal of the lost cause of la it is my nature she had written to be on the side of the weak and the oppressed on the twentieth of july seventeen ninety three while instructing a bill-poster as to the posting up of her latest pamphlet les trois urnes ou le salut de la patrie olympe was arrested in la rue de Harlay. she was taken to the nearest mairie there interrogated and detained among the formal charges brought against her was the publication of a seditious play la france sauvée ou le tyran des Tronies, and three pamphlets of which the most serious was les Trois Urnes, which proposed that the people should choose by a plebiscite between the republican government one and indivisible a federative government and a monarchy to profess or even to suggest federalism as it was called was then regarded as a crime of the deepest dye as many girondists knew to their cost for three months olympe was taken from prison to prison from the mairie to l'abbaye from l'abbaye to la force then to a private hospital and thence to the vestibule of death la conciergerie. all the time she was pouring forth letters and pamphlets continuing her attacks on robespierre and the jacobin club which she called a den of thieves and writing to the son who was to deny and to censure her as a conspirator who had forgotten the virtues becoming to her sex olympe made her will in prison her fortune all that was left of fifty thousand francs in investment and furniture valued at thirty thousand she bequeathed to this ungrateful son her heart she left to her country her honesty to men if they needed it her soul to women on the second of november she was brought before the revolutionary tribunal the advocate who should have defended her was not present the tribunal refused to allow her to appoint another she therefore conducted her own defence, and as we might expect, with great eloquence. Writing to her son, she said, "'Twenty times did I chase the blood from the cheeks of my executioners.' That was, of course, her habitual exaggeration. But it was true that she won the sympathy of the audience and made a great impression on her judges. As the sentence was about to be pronounced, she cried, "'My enemies will not have the triumph of seeing my blood flow.' i am pregnant and shall present the republic with a citizen or citizeness the sentence was stayed until the next day when after examining the accused a surgeon pronounced her statement to be incorrect psychologists tell us that in all human beings there are masculine and feminine elements olympe had many masculine qualities but during the final hours of her life her femininity had come out strong for her last request had been for a mirror and gazing on her face for the last time she had cried ah thank heaven my face is not playing me any tricks i am not too pale not long before her death olympe had written of herself my first impulse is like a tempest but as soon as the explosion is over my mind is perfectly calm all olympe's explosions were now over on the fourth of november seventeen ninety three she went out into the eternal calm as she was going up the steps to the guillotine the executioner as was his wont put out his hand to help her i forbid you to touch me cried olympe except to cut off my head then having reached the platform she said i wanted to be somebody alas for that fatal desire for renown feminism like every other creed is coloured by the temperament of the man or woman that professes it we have seen certain phases of olympe's feminism proceeding from her vanity and ambition we shall also discern the personal note in the feminism of tirouin which we are now to consider tirouin was essentially a man's woman and it was only when her attractiveness to men began to wane that her feminism developed but even then she continued to seek men's society for tirouin like that other great feminist george sand frankly confessed that she disliked women French women, at any rate je n'aime pas les femmes françaises she said with her Flemish accent it was through men that in the beginning she strove to realize her feminist aims early in seventeen ninety she founded a men's club les amis de la Loi, comprising a dozen or more members who for a few weeks it had only twenty meetings in all gathered on tuesdays and thursdays at her house l'hôtel de grenoble rue boulois and there women's rights were frequently discussed during the early months of seventeen ninety when tirouin was not at this or some other club she was attending the debates of the assembly there when on the fourth of february the king announced his adhesion to the constitution men and women and tirouin among the latter swore allegiance to the new regime shortly afterwards somewhere between the twentieth and the twenty-fifth of the month tirouin having once been allowed to make her voice heard in the councils of the state proposed to go a step further and at the close of her famous speech at the cordelier asked for a consultative vote in that assembly but then despite the applause that had greeted her speech she suffered one of those rebuffs which are partly accountable for the bitterness and extravagance of her later career the reply of the assembly of the cordelier district to terroigne's request is significant according to camille desmoulins who related the incident in his newspaper les révolutions de france et de brabant the assembly, after thanking the citizeness for her proposed vote, on the motion of the president, the following resolution: Seeing that a canon of the Council of Macon has formally recognized that women, like men, possess a soul and an intelligence, une âme et la raison, women cannot be denied the right to make such good use of them as the previous speaker has done. Mademoiselle Thiroigne and other members of her sex will always be free to propose anything that seems to them for the good of their country but as to the question of status as to whether the demoiselle tirouagne shall be admitted to the meeting of the district with a consultative vote the assembly is incompetent to take any decision and the discussion is closed in other words women may freely use for the good of the state the powers of which a council of the church grudgingly admitted them to be possessed there was no reason for example why les citoyens should not arm les citoyennes as they inaccurately termed the women of france with daggers against the enemies of the revolution, why they should not form them into a bodyguard to protect Robespierre. But when it came to admitting the so called citoyennes even into the outer court of citizenship, to giving one of them even so much as a consultative voice in a district council, no, that could not be tolerated, for it constituted an infringement of man's political monopoly, and so fundamental an innovation was not for one moment to be thought of. If this was the masculine attitude towards so very moderate a feminist demand in the early and comparatively feminist days of the revolution, there was little chance later when, as we shall see, the government's policy became decidedly anti-feminist that much more aspiring demands would be granted. In the two years that followed, Thierroine received many an ovation, but I doubt whether she ever completely recovered from the disappointment of that first refusal. Her greatest triumph was that we have already described at the Jacobin club. This was after her return from Austria in January 1792. Tyroigne then became a person of considerable importance. Her salon in la rue de Tournon was frequented by all that was most distinguished in revolutionary society. On patriotic playing cards, Tyroigne's picture figured as the Queen of Spades, with the Duke of Orléans as king and Santerre as knave in the palais royal gardens and in the cafe d'auto on the feuillant terrace her word was law and at a gesture from her shopkeepers were constrained to remove from their windows pictures she considered to be reactionary she took part in the first invasion of the tuileries on the twentieth of june by this time however signs were not wanting that her popularity was on the wane on the fourth of march in an interminable speech at the jacobin club in which she proposed to raise public spirit to its proper height a sa juste hauteur tirouin succeeded in lowering the spirits of her hearers on the thirteenth of april occurred that stormy debate in the club when as we have seen she was accused of raising a riot in the faubourg saint-antoine whether or no tirouin was to blame in that matter there is no doubt she was becoming more and more violent and losing her balance probably this arose partly from the growth of the malady which was finally to deprive her of her reason meanwhile as her attractiveness faded she began to neglect her personal appearance she was getting to look emaciated worn and haggard a royalist who knew her at this time described her as the living image of the revolution brilliant in its beginning fanatical in the middle and revolting and sanguinary after the tenth of august on that day armed with pistols and a dagger wearing her usual riding habit this time of blue and a black hat with black feathers says one eye-witness with tricolour says another she was up betimes and early at the feuillant monastery where the first prisoners were being brought in as to what then happened there has been much discussion early historians accused her of having with her own hands slain one of the prisoners the editor of the reactionary newspaper Les Actes des Apôtres, which had made the most scurrilous attacks upon her. Later authorities acquit her of such a crime. Exasperated at the sight of this well-known reactionary, Thierroigne may have clamored for his death. She may even have laid hands on him herself. But Sulot quickly found himself struggling with several assailants. He had been disarmed, but he seized the sword of one of his captors and fought for his life. But what was one against so many? He was overpowered, dragged out into the courtyard, and there put to death with that animal savagery which, as we know too well, revolutions seem to engender. That Tirouin should have been in any way implicated in this incident is terrible enough, and one is glad to find the even more horrible charge groundless. Equally groundless was the assertion that Tirouin took part in the prison massacres of September. No contemporary authority mentions her among the perpetrators of those assassinations, indeed she seems to have protested against them they were the work of the jacobin party to which she was now so strongly opposed that she was called Brissotine and anti of chapter ten part one